talking about David's tabernacle and a really specific aspect of it, which is antiphony. Who knows what antiphony is? I know one person in here knows for sure. Samantha, you know what antiphony is? What is antiphony? Back and forth. Very good. It's opposing voices. It's, a, it's actually a musical term, and it's directly ascribed to pretty much Christian music. Christian music is the scene by general culture as the place where antiphony is relevant. Okay, and I'll get into that a little bit. As we get into the notes, you're going to see there's some quotes from Wikipedia and some Bible, or some uh, dictionary, a bit different than the Bible, dictionary definitions. This is important. Antiphony is actually one of the things that sets the Tabernacle of David prayer kind of apart from just a corporate prayer meeting. Antiphony is actually one of the main ways that we learn humility. And so I want to talk about that today because I feel like the Lord is inviting us to go deeper. So any, like, let's just imagine, you know, the 10-year-old kid that is in, you know, travel baseball, full-time kind of training for baseball. At some point, that kid has to realize, I don't do everything right so that they can get better and actually play at a higher level at some point in time. So today I'm going to talk about the Tabernacle of David, which is something that we all do uh, week in and week out and have for many years, some of us. And it's easy to hear this and hear, I'm not doing it right, which is right. That's the way you should hear it, but not in a, oh, I feel like I've never done it right. It's actually about a progression into where God wants to take the tabernacle of David. So it should be temporary. It should be something changing. It's a tent. You know, David's tent is a tent. It should be something that we actually get more understanding of. And that's kind of what I was talking about last time. I got a chance to speak, was that the Tabernacle of David, it highlights kind of the, the structure of the worship in heaven, but it's alike. It's, it's like a, a copy or a replica. That's what the temple is. It's a copy of an actual place in heaven where God's throne is. And so if we start to look at it this way, it's kind of like the law tells us our sin, but the law can't fix our sin. Our sin actually gets dealt with by Jesus, who then gives us his Holy Spirit. It takes us deeper than the law. So if we look at these kind of principles, like today we're going to look at the principle of antiphony for the tabernacle of David, and we're like, oh, I got to try and do that. That's the wrong approach. What we're actually looking at is, wow, God does that, and why? And what will that do to me if I let him do that to me? Does that make sense? That's different than, oh, there's this thing we're supposed to be doing, and we're not doing it. That's all on the human level. But if it's, oh, there's this thing God's doing, why? And if I let him do something to me, he will make that happen in me. That's way different. That's more free. Okay, so Lord, I'm just asking this morning for freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you told me to say these things. So I'm just asking, put the freedom on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first passage, Zephaniah 1, 4 to 6. This is where the Lord told me to start this morning. I will stretch out my hand against Judah. Now, Judah was the tribe that actually had Jerusalem, right? That was part of the inheritance of Judah, was the, the city of Jerusalem. So it's important that we understand he's saying something specifically about worship. When you hear things about Judah and you hear things about Jerusalem, you're hearing things about government and worship. This is important to understand. Jesus, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. David was of the tribe of Judah. David was a king, but David cared a lot about worship. He was a king who really wanted to be a priest. Jesus is a king and a priest, 
And he's invited you to be a part of his body to be a king, a governmental leader, and a priest, a worship leader. Does that make sense? So we have to understand God holds those that are called to a lot and given a lot to a very high standard. In fact, I want to take a break. I want to go somewhere. Let's actually go to Acts 15. Just hear the Holy Spirit saying that we should do this first. So Acts 15, I want you to look up. There's a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's probably one on your phone, or there's one on the seat in front of you in that little rack. There should be one close by. Acts 15, 15 to 16. Somebody give me an amen when you're there. Come on. You can do it. You're there? Vince is there. Great. All right, I'm going to know that the rest of us are catching up quick to Vince. I want you to see this, actually, in your Bible. I feel like the Lord wants us to see it. Okay, Acts 15, 15 to 16. This is not an unfamiliar passage, but I feel like this is a very important passage to understand Antiphony. Okay, so I want you to think about opposing voices. I'm going to read this. And with these words, the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So I want you to go back to verse 15. And it's, who's, who said this? Who said that after this, I will return? Anybody throw it out there? Prophets, yeah. It says, James says, all the prophets. How many prophets are there? Anybody know how many prophets there are in the Bible? Minor and major prophets? There's a bunch. There's a good number. There's several major prophets, and then there's a bunch of minor prophets. All of the Old Testament leading up to the New Testament, that's all the prophets. And J- James says all these prophets, we're talking about one thing. So I want you to tell me who were the prophets that talked about the tabernacle of David? All of them. Why, when I read the prophets, don't I read the exact same words about the realities that they're describing? Why don't I read about the same location? Why don't I read about the same people, the same reality, the same judgment? Why don't I read about the same promises? Why do I read each of these prophets and see a story about Israel or a story about Nineveh or a story about, you know, what Amos is talking about or what Jeremiah is prophesying, the Babylonian invasion? How could all those prophets be talking about the tabernacle of David and none of them are talking about the tabernacle of David? Some of them are. Amos talks about it for sure. Isaiah talks about it for sure. But how could they all be talking about that? Is that true? Is what James said true? How is it true, Samantha? Because God said it. So from God's perspective, all the prophets are trying to get us, because Peter said they weren't actually prophesying to their generation. They're prophesying to us in these last days. They're prophesying to us to get us into the tabernacle of David. This is what Antiphony looks like. Jeremiah says one thing. Isaiah says something else. Jeremiah actually reflects something that Isaiah says, and Isaiah reflects something Jeremiah says. Daniel picks up both and grabs onto them. The prophets that come after refer back. That's the way a prayer meeting should be. We should actually be united in what we're all pointing to, which is the tabernacle of David. If we're prophetic, we're actually prophetic unto the tabernacle of David because James says, all the prophets, that include New Testament prophets? Yes, all the prophets, all prophecy is pointing us all. And I want to tell you something. You are so blessed because you have a baby beginning seed of what all the prophets prophesy. So we don't want to come here and be like, yeah, I'm just going to 
kind of get something out from the Lord out of the air, just prophesy something. Without understanding, you're prophesying under the tabernacle of David. You're prophesying under the government of Jesus. This isn't kind of like a free-for-all, take, you know, the piece of paper off the pin board and read the thing. It's all talking about one thing. And Jesus said there's one thing required, never taken away. What's that one thing? To sit at his feet and listen to him. That's what the tabernacle of David is. Do you see what I'm saying? So this is really important to understand in Tiffany in the context of just the way that heaven works. The whole Bible is antiphonal. It's, it's harmonious. It's all telling one cohesive, solid story about one man, Jesus. The redemption of all men through this one man. And the tabernacle of David is the, the reality of worship that enthrones him on the voluntary praise of people. What I mean is Jesus isn't going to lead anybody that doesn't want him to. And so he's very patient and waiting for people to come to the realization of the tabernacle of David. Now, the second part to this is very important. Who's ever heard the idea that lawlessness is going to abound in the last days? Anybody ever heard that? Is lawlessness abounding right now? When the Bible says lawlessness is going to abound, where is it talking about? Does anybody know? In the church and God's people, not in the church and Israel. And we have to kind of picture the two of them grafted together. And that's really what this passage about the tabernacle of David is about. It's actually Jews and Gentiles coming together as one. So if lawlessness is going to abound and lawlessness abounds in the church, do you know why lawlessness abounds? It's because of revelation. The reason that lawlessness is abounding right now is because of revelation. So I want you to turn with me one more place. Luke 12, 47 to 48. We will definitely get back to the notes. Don't worry. I just got interrupted from the regularly scheduled programming. Okay, Luke 12, 47, 48. You there, Vince? Sweet. Vince is the fastest. Okay. Now listen. Actually, let's go to verse 46. Now the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him. Is this an end time reality? Does somebody say yes? Yes. Okay, because talking, he's talking about the end times. And at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two. Does that sound good? No. And appoint him a portion with unbelievers. Wouldn't that be a big waste of time? If you spent your whole life getting ready for the end times and then got a portion with the unbelievers who didn't do anything to get ready, that would be a big waste of time. And that servant, everybody say, who knew? Who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. So the one who knew gets the punishment. The one who should have known what to do gets the punishment. Now listen to this. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. Is God unfair? Why is the punishment greater for those who know? Because they know. Right, because it's not hidden. So lawlessness abounding is a direct function of revelation happening. The more you know, the more opportunity you have to sin, ignore the thing that's true. Do you see what I'm saying? And this is what Paul said about the law. He said, before the law, people didn't know sin, but then the law came and we knew sin. And then thousands of years and God gave the spirit, did God expect people with the spirit to live better than the people with the law? Absolutely. And now he's given the tabernacle of David to the earth in a massive way. If you could look just numerically, the number of places that care about what we care about, it's amazing. I mean, tens of thousands across the earth. He's giving the tabernacle of David, and that's consequential. That's powerful. That's amazing. That means there's a place for us to come together and get sanctified. But if you know and don't do it, lawlessness is abounding. And that means the love of many is growing cold. That's the passage in Matthew 24. 
that the love of many would grow cold because lawlessness abounds. That's talking about us. That's talking about people who have the answer, not using the answer. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, if you want to use the answer, I feel like what came out in worship is very important. It's not about getting more discipline. It's not about deciding, okay, this is the, these are the segments I'm going to block off on my calendar. Though, if you get what I'm talking about, you will do that. It's getting a vision of Jesus. It's actually seeing what Jesus told me he wanted something from me this morning. And he said, Tom, if I make it clear to you, will you do it? And it was costly. I don't want to share it because it's so costly. And I said, yes, I will. And he took, he took and showed me the thing. I, I want to do it. Because he showed it to me, not because I decided in my own mind I need to do this for Jesus, but because he asked me to do something for him. That's the spirit of prophecy. It will increase my revelation of the tabernacle of David doing this thing that he's told me to do. Okay, let's go back to the notes. Zephaniah 1, 4 to 6. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, the place of worship, the place of the city of the great king, Jerusalem, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. Wait, wait. Baal from, the, from Jerusalem, David's city? Yes, that's where he cares about Baal being. Baal's everywhere. I mean, Baal's in Edom, Baal's in you know, Babylon, Baal's all over the place, but he doesn't want Baal in Jerusalem. He doesn't want you ignoring him because you want him, right? He expects the nations to ignore him. That's not offending him. It offends him when his bride, his wife, his girl ignores him. That offends him. That would offend you too. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. He says there's corrupt priests, and they're actually partners with priests that don't even believe in God. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by me, the Lord, but also swear by Milcom. This is what God can't stand. Double-mindedness, corruption, mixing the profane with the holy. He can't take it. I mean, he can take it. He can't stand it. He won't stand in its presence. You see what I'm saying? He can, but he won't. Then he says this. Uh, those who have turned back from following the Lord. So were they following the Lord? Yes. And have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Why did they turn back? They stopped talking to him. That's what he says. They stopped asking him questions or talking to him, seeking him. If you want to seek the Lord, I just want you to raise your hand right now. I'm just going to pray. I'm not looking at anybody. I want to seek the Lord. Holy Spirit, we're asking you, help us to seek the Lord in these days. In a time when the whole culture is getting selfish, afraid, turned inward, isolated, help us to seek the Lord in Jesus' name. And then this is what it says just a little bit later, Zephaniah 2, 1 to 3. This is the answer to the judgment God has promised to Jerusalem. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Who is the undesirable nation? It's kind of a trick question, all of them. <laughs> it's, it's anyone who hasn't come out of the world, right? Jerusalem, Israel, the people of Israel, they were expected to come out of the world, but they don't want to. And so he's saying, I don't want you if you don't want me, right? Undesirable means I don't want you. He says, come to me, gather together, tell me that you want to come out, right? Before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. See, he's talking about everybody. It's not just one nation. You could be like, which one is the undesirable one? All of them. He's looking for a people whose country is God's country. Do you see what I'm saying? He's looking for people in heaven, that want heaven. This is what it says in Hebrews 11 and 12. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Everybody say humility. Does the earth seem like it's growing in humility right now? It does not. But I want to tell you something. It is. 
According to the Bible, it is because he's threshing and winnowing. He's breaking things up and he's blowing away the stuff that's not humble and all that will remain is the humble. So if you're like, yeah, people all around me seem to be growing in selfishness and arrogance. I want you to know they're getting shaken to be blown away. You don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to try to protect yourself because everybody seems self-protective and maybe wanting to take your stuff or your place or your position or your money. You actually want to be more open, humble, meek, weak, so he can make you strong. That's what he told me this morning. He said, Tom, I, I like it when you're weak so I can make you strong. Last prayer sets all this week. When I get here, I feel faint. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And he's like, this is me. I'm actually working in your life. He says, I want you weak when you do sets. And I've been feeling really weak, but I've also been noticing that more prophetic stuff is happening to me. I'm actually learning more in the sets this week just because I come in here and I can barely, I'm barely here. Like I'm hanging in there and I'm praying for him to help me. He likes the weakness. Seek the Lord, all you make of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be, everybody say maybe. It's not for sure that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. It'd be good to be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Now, lawlessness is most offensive to God in his own house. Lawlessness is born, it comes from these two realities. Impatience, anybody here feel impatient? And doubt, anybody here doubt? That's where lawlessness comes from. It comes from impatience. You actually don't want to wait. Try to move some things. I want what God wants, I just want to move it a little faster. Or doubt, I want what God wants, I just don't know if he wants it for me, so I'm going to try to make it happen for me. Impatience and doubt create lawlessness. Now, lawlessness means that you're taking God's plans and promises and then fitting them into your purposes. If you take God's plans and promises and fit them into your purposes, you're stealing and then appropriating things that he said for yourself. That's not okay. You want to take God's plans and promises and make sure they stay in his purposes. If you do that, you'll get your heart satisfied. If you're lawless, you will find that he's actually out to crush you because he loves you, and he won't let lawless people into heaven. He won't let people, this is what Adam and Eve did, right? They took his promises that they were his kind, and then they tried to cram that into their purposes, which was now, right now, and that broke everything, okay? So lawlessness is born from impatience and doubt. These are the core issues God is addressing in the last days. Because what God is addressing in the end times is lawlessness. The Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. People that are lawless, remember in Matthew 7, I, I bet you I've quoted Matthew 7, these, this concept, probably 1,050 times in my entire life. People are going to come to him. They're going to say, we did many miracles in your name, cast out demons in your name, did many wonders. He's going to say, get away from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness is what God is purging from the bride that's going to be married to Jesus because he doesn't want a bunch of people to be in this reality breaking heaven. He actually likes heaven the way it is right now, which is him leading it completely. Okay? Now, Revelation 13.10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience in the faith of the saints. So this is talking about a war coming against the church, which is designed, God lets the war happen to find out who's lawless. He lets pressure come against you in your life. This isn't just like an end time reality. This is your whole life. He lets pressure come to find out, are you going to try and fix things yourself and tell yourself it's because God wants it? Or are you going to be weak? Wait on the Lord, Psalm 37. Let him make your righteousness shine like the noonday sun. Do you have patience and faith that he's not going to let you suffer for trying to do the right thing? He's not. 
But if you're like, I want to do the right thing and I'm going to do it my way, that's not the right thing anymore. That's you appropriating God's promises for your purposes. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. So God is allowing lawlessness of the last days or the end time testing of the saints. It's designed to find lawlessness in those who claim to want to live in heaven. Like all demonic influence, the spirit of lawlessness is contagious. Now, were you born lawful or were you born lawless? Lawless. You were born lawless. But you've been, because I know you, you've actually been getting sanctified. You've been saying, okay, this part of my life is lawless. I don't want that anymore. I actually want to be like Jesus in this area. And there's more. Like we find out, oh, there's all the kinds of areas where lawlessness is cropping up. Well, when you started to say, I don't want to be lawless anymore. I actually want to do what Jesus wants me to do. There was a whole army, a third of the angels were like, okay, you're problem number one. So there's a whole demonic army that wants you to get back to backslide or fall away or stumble back into lawlessness. So it says there's seeds, like the kingdom of heaven or the truth of the gospel is sown like seeds in your, your soil. And like you picked it up. You kind of like, yeah, I, want, I want Jesus' leadership. And he said, then when trouble comes, if the roots aren't deep, then what happens is you fall away, like in, in, a, in a little bit of persecution. You're like, no, I don't want to agree with Jesus when it's really tough. I'll get back to that when it gets easier. But for right now, I'm just going to look after myself. That's lawlessness. That's actually what he's dealing with right now, okay? Now, Matthew 24, 9 to 13. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, when it says they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, that's mostly talking about other believers. That's the people that offered Jesus up to trouble and killed him were mostly religious leaders in Jerusalem. He said, if they, killed, if they hated me, they're going to hate you, and they are people that care about God. Like, they care about God. They just don't want to wait for him or trust that he does all this stuff, and we don't have to, okay? Then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So the main thing that you want to deal with in your life right now is lawlessness. It's easy to be lawless and tell yourself you love God because you do love God. You love the idea of being loyal to God except for when it looks risky. But that risk is called faith. And you love the idea of being loyal to God as long as he keeps making things work out just in time. But when it seems like he takes too long, you're kind of like, okay, cut in that corner. That's called impatience. So impatience and doubt, they create lawlessness. Does that make sense? You guys with me? So when we read about lawlessness, it's not like, you know, the people breaking into the pharmacies and stealing all this stuff out of the shelves. That's a, that's a symptom of our lawlessness. That's a symptom of us not bringing the government that we have authority over, the Holy Spirit inside of us, to the earth. And so people that don't know anything about God are growing in lawlessness as well. But God doesn't look at them and like, hey, I expect you not to steal from the right aid. He's actually saying to the church, church, do you see what's breaking around you? How about if you get lawful and I'll come and heal the land, right? That's what the promise was when Solomon dedicated the temple. He said, God, if these bad things start to happen, we come back to you and we, we declare that we're sorry and you're our God. Will you heal the land? And he says, I will. I will hear and heal the land. Like we have to be a people that are like, we're, it's our lawlessness that we're seeing at the right end. I went to Home Depot to buy a cordless drill. Literally, you can't take a cordless drill off the shelf at Home Depot anymore. They're all chained up. That's us not appropriating a government that we actually come and meet about all the time. And if we look at it like, hey, you know, we've been given quite a bit here. How many people in this city do you think even know about the Tabernacle, David? Not a ton. 
Not a ton. I mean, if you took all the believers and figured out how many had been exposed to it or tried it, it'd be a small percentage. But he's like, I expect you to actually care about lawfulness. And what I'll do is I'll put my hand of restraint on the places where you care about it. Okay? This is all about antiphony. I'm getting there. Don't worry. Now, heaven is God's dominion. And he's given the earth to mankind, but the heavens are his alone. Everybody hold your hand up like this. Everything up there, he's running. Is Satan up there? Is he running Satan? Absolutely. It says that Satan has to appear before him from time to time. It says that Satan actually lives 24-7 in front of his throne accusing you. He's like an attorney against you and your lawlessness. And we're supposed to be like, wait a second, is he right? <laughs> we're not supposed to be like, no, 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 God, don't pay any attention to Satan. He's like, I actually allow Satan to be here. Like, what do you think about you? What do you think about you and me, okay? So heaven is God's mean. It's run God's way, all of it. There's nothing that's not run his way. But he's given the earth to mankind. Does the earth look like God's running it? No. There's a reason for that. He's not. He's not. Though he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, how many people are called according to his purpose and love him? He's actually, that's the, when I said, you know, is lawfulness abounding? It's, it law, or patience is increasing. Faith is increasing. You just can't see it because he's actually dealing with impatience and doubt right now. Okay? So Psalm 115, verse 16. Did I lose you on that? Do you know what I'm saying? Heaven is, is run perfectly. The earth is not. And what he wants is for the earth to be run more like heaven. So if we're going to run the earth more like heaven, this is what David saw. This is, what, this is why David started the tabernacle. He saw the way God's government was working in Revelation 4, but it wasn't in Revelation 4 yet. He saw it by the spirit of prophecy the way heaven's government was working, and he established a worship order in Israel that thousands of years later, John would write about Revelation 4, and it would match what David did in 1 Chronicles 25 because he was like, we need God to run this thing. Did, was David a good king? Yes, he was a great king. In fact, all of Israel to this day, the nation of Israel is looking for one like David to come and rescue them to this day because he was such a good leader, but he was only a good leader because he was like, God, you got to come and run this thing. So when I'm talking about Antiphony, I'm actually talking about the theft at Rite Aid decreasing or the theft at Home Depot decreasing. Do you see what I'm saying? These are directly connected because if we'll do things with the desire for God to change us and order us like it is in heaven then what we'll see is his kingdom start to manifest as it is in heaven. But if we don't care about that, we're like, ah, just, I'll just pray to you. I'm going to come pray to you a lot and just keep doing it over and over. But every time I do it, I violate all the order of heaven. I don't even care about it. I'm just kind of slashing around, praying, disrupting things. I'm like, why won't you come? Because you don't care about what it's about. You don't care about the order. You don't care about changing you in the way that you dial down and learn why I do things this way. Why did David set things up this way? I mean, for years, I, David's tabernacle, I want to do David's tabernacle, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do Lawless, like not understanding there's a certain reason David set things up this way, and it's supposed to change me. It's not my job to change a city. It's my job to let him change me. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. So Psalm 115, verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the children of men. We're supposed to look at the brokenness and law, that lawlessness produces and want the atmosphere of heaven. This is the heart of David, who is the man after God's heart. So David organized a 24-7 worship and prayer movement in Israel to embrace the order of heaven's atmosphere. 
He embraced the order, like the way stuff works around God's throne. Second Chronicles 29 to 25 to 26. Now listen to this. This is how David knew. Okay, now this isn't talking about David, actually. This is talking about Hezekiah. So a king named Hezekiah came years, decades after David set up the tabernacle, and Israel was, again, a complete mess. So when David inherited Israel from Saul, Saul had totally messed up Israel. Then David kind of reorganized it, and it got really good. And then successions of kings broke it all down again, and Hezekiah came along and tried to do what God wanted done. And this is what was said about Hezekiah. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. So David, Gad, and Nathan, they all saw the structure that David made this worship order follow. It wasn't like some guy's idea. It was actually a prophetic revelation. Now, nobody had ever heard it before. If you look, you won't find anything like the tabernacle of David before David. But David took a risk on what Nathan, Gad, and David were seeing. Do you see that there were three main prophets that were all kind of like, hey, this is, they're in agreement. They're in a harmony and accord. Now, would David and, and Nathan and Gad, were they always in agreement with each other? Was there ever a time when Nathan was like, hey, David, I see this a little different than you do, buddy. Yeah, if David fall into sin, Nathan would come along and be like, David, let me tell you the story about a sheep. And, you know, he'd be like, I see this a little differently than you do, David. So being in harmony or one accord or antiphonal doesn't mean that you completely agree. It means that you agree with what God's showing you. And what that does is it brings agreement with God to the earth, okay? Now, an example of antiphony in the Bible are the four Gospels. There's four gospel accounts written by four people, all talking about the same exact three and a half years and the same guy, and they tell really radically different aspects of what happened to Jesus. Now, doubtful and impatient critics, they try to find ways that that doesn't agree. But faithful, impatient people try to let that show them who Jesus is. Do you see what I'm saying? Four people telling you about me is better than one person who doesn't really know me that well telling you about me. Right? Four people. They might have different stories, like different times that we hung out or shared time together. This is what the Gospels are doing. It's four different aspects of who Jesus is. You could be like, there's a, there's a piece of who Jesus is, and there's a piece of who Jesus is. And if we're willing to listen, and we're like, okay, I want to be changed into this antiphonal order. Okay? It, it takes patience to do what I'm saying, though. It takes patience. Holy Spirit, release patience even right now. Okay, so he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of, Gad, of David, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. Now, these were some of the prophets that were prophesying the tabernacle of David. That years, years later, James would say, all the prophets are actually agreeing about the same thing. Okay? The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Now, doubtful and impatient man, page two of the notes, doesn't see the relevance of embracing order. Doubtful and impatient people. Who am I talking about when I'm like, doubtful and impatient people? Yes, thank you, Samantha. Sam, who else am I talking about? (laughs) Noah was the one person I wasn't talking about. I was talking about me. You're supposed to say me, Sam. Okay. Now, doubtful and impatient man doesn't see the relevance of embracing order. It's like, doubtful and impatient man is kind of like, What I do doesn't really matter that much, but it matters a ton. It matters a ton. Shame will actually keep you from ever obeying God. If you're like, what I do doesn't matter that much, that's what Satan wants you to think. Because it was like weak and broken people just like me and you. Elijah had a nature just like us, but he prayed and it didn't rain. 
Do you know that we could change everything in this city if we let God change us? But the false message is, let's get together and change everything in this city for the name of Jesus. That's Babylon. That's false. That's lawlessness. No. Let's let Jesus change us and see what he does in this city when he changes us. We don't know. We don't know. Maybe he'll keep us from the time of testing. Maybe he'll keep us from the time of trouble. But to be like, okay, he's going to keep us from the time of trouble. Let's take that, appropriate it for our purposes. It's getting terrible out here. Let's get together and stop the time of trouble. Do you see this happening all over the place right now? That's lawlessness. It's taking God's promise for man's purpose. Don't do that. And we do this in a multitude of ways literally every day. All of us do. But we can grow out of it. We can grow out of it, okay? So, doubtful, doubt and impatience, it sees lawlessness of getting results impatiently. It sees the lawlessness of getting results impatiently. Doubtful and impatient man doesn't see the relevance of embracing order. It sees the lawlessness of getting results impatiently. Just wants to get stuff done. There's a lot of words to say, something really simple. Okay, this is the sin in God's people prophesied in the last days. We uniquely live in a church generation that believes more in effort than in weakness. Now, there's a reason that we believe more in effort than in weakness. That's because of revelation. We actually have more things to believe. The internet has connected us in a profound way, not just to each other, but to information from past. So we know about movements that, when they were happening, people on the earth didn't even know about them. Like the latter rain movement, a ton of people on the earth in the church didn't even know about the latter rain movement. We know about it, we're not even part of it. Do you see what I'm saying? So you've got all kinds of these realities that we live in a very unique generation that's connected. The Bible says people would run to and fro and knowledge would increase. It also says lawlessness will abound for that reason, okay? Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He is uns- his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Who's he going to give power to in the last days? The weak. How many here are weak? Good. You're supposed to actually be weak. You're never going to not need God. You're not supposed to graduate to the point where you don't need a doctor. You don't need to be prayed for. for this is the primary one. We're like, I'll be healed when I don't need to ask for healing anymore. And God would be like, I'm going to keep you alive for like billions of years. <laughs> You're going to need me for billions of years. Your body is going to need God forever. So if we can get the patience of, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get what I need right now. That's healing. If he touches me and I make it through another day, that's healing. Like that's life. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that you're alive at all. And if we can get in that patience, then what happens is more of it starts to flow through us, more of that power, because we're stop, we stop taking the promises of God and trying to appropriate them to all the purposes, all the needs around us, and instead we let ourselves be the need. Do you see what I'm saying? It's different. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So this waiting on the Lord, that's not just when you need some money to pay the car payment. That's actually in a prayer meeting. Waiting on the Lord is actually on a stage, worship leading. Waiting on the Lord is when somebody comes to you with a problem. And they're like, hey, I, need, I have this massive need in my life. What can you do about it? Because you know God. Waiting on the Lord is like, well, let's talk to God. <laughs> And see what he says. Instead of, well, this is what you got to do, and this is what you got to do. The Bible says you got to do this. That's not waiting on the Lord. That's lawless. Do you see what I'm saying? Lawlessness, it always is attacking the places where there could be faithfulness and there could be patience. Because Satan's limited. He's got to play a a zone defense. He can't go man-to-man. He's one-third on his side, two-thirds on our side. 
And so he's got to look for the strong spots to attack. So you actually want to recognize when the Lord is really speaking to you, you are tempted to lawlessness. Anybody experienced that before? Like God gave you a promise, like all you can think about is how it's going to happen. And he's like, remember I told you that before you even knew about it? (laughs) I already know how it's going to happen. I don't want you to focus on how it's going to happen. I'm God. I'm going to make it happen. I want you to focus on me and why I'm saying this to you, why I'm doing this in your life. Now, waiting on the Lord is most important in his house. Waiting on the Lord is most important in his house. It's his house, right? It's his house. When people wait, and Tiffany is produced. When you wait, and Tiffany is produced. If you won't wait, you will quench or quelch or squash and Tiffany. But if you wait, and Tiffany will blossom, it will happen. No one will make it happen. Because we can hear these things and be like, okay, opposing voices. I'll time it with you. I'll plan it with you. I look at you. You look at me. We'll make this thing happen. This is not the government of heaven. The government of heaven is I'm waiting on the Lord. You're waiting on the Lord. He's going to make something happen. I've experienced this. How many of you have experienced this many times in this room? It's a miracle when it happens. It's beautiful. It's music, actually. That's the way music happens in this timing, the beauty of this timing. When people wait, and Tiffany is produced, lawlessness homogenizes. What does homogenize mean, Samantha? You're thinking of milk, yes. But it's not always murky. But yeah, it's one. It's, it's uniform. Homogenous means uniform. One language, one speech. It's Babylon. Okay, so lawlessness, it homogenizes the expression of prayer and worship. It's like... Yeah, we're supposed to worship the Lord. Now, let's all get together with one language and one speech. Don't deviate from the doctrine. Don't deviate. Well, this is our mission. This is what we do. If you say anything wrong with it, then you're out. Don't. This, what does this produce eventually? A cult. A, what, a division. Absolutely. It creates division, and it creates a cult. Homogenizing everything. That's what it does. And Tiffany says, I can wait. Everybody doesn't have to get it all right this second. We don't all have to be in alignment. We can actually kind of wait on each other, see what the Lord is saying, and I'll recognize I want to come more and more close to Jesus. And if you come more and more close to Jesus, right now we're far away from him. We might not see things the same, but as we get closer and closer to him, we'll get closer and closer to each other. And what will happen is I won't lose my connection to him for the sake of my connection to you, and you won't lose your connection to him for the sake of your connection to me, and what we'll actually get is something harmonious instead of monophonic, right? Monophony creates, it creates the denominations, saying, okay, we got to get rid of everybody that doesn't think like we do, or we got to go off by ourselves because you don't think like we do. Like, that creates, but now there's times when you're supposed to separate. There's threshing and winnowing and gathering together but you don't make that happen, right? You let God make that happen. Okay, so a lawless spirit is at work in a prayer set when these attributes are present. I'm not going to talk that much longer. But this is the practical application of what I've been saying. And Sam looked at her watch because she's like, how long has he been talking? And I want to tell you, it's been about 40 minutes. Okay. Impatience. When impatience is present in a prayer set, lawlessness is operating there. Now, am I saying... These are attributes of a bad prayer set. Samantha's shaking her head no. Why am I, why, if there's lawlessness, how could it be a good prayer set, Sam? The point of the prayer set is to get rid of the lawlessness. <laughs> if there's no lawlessness, you're actually deluded. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself with the truth is not in you. But if you say you have sin, then he's righteous and just to forgive it. So if you're like, okay, if there's a patience here, it's a bad prayer set. No, if it's a patience here, it's a real prayer set. 
And we could actually do something about it. We could be like, I, I am so impatient. Help me, Lord, okay? So we want real prayer sets. We don't want to try and do the things only God can do. Impatience. This is what impatience looks like in a person. I'm going to say some things that you do. It's not because I'm trying to point out that you're bad. I'm, all humans do this. I've been, in, I've been in thousands of prayer sets at this point. Thousands. Everybody new to this reality does this. Everybody. And I saw you do it. You maybe saw me do it. I've seen countless people that I don't know do it, okay? So don't be like, ah, you're trying to make me stop doing this. I couldn't make you stop doing it if I tried. I've been trying for years, and you just keep doing it. Okay, so coming right to the mic when it isn't the right time. Okay, I got something to say. I'm going up there. I don't even know what's going on. I've got to tell you something. That's lawless. That's how you know lawlessness is happening. Now, what do we do when that happens? Holy Spirit. I actually know about this. What am I doing to contribute to lawlessness right now? Like, that person might not even know, but I know. So if you recognize any of these things, you know. That person might not know, but in the flesh and in patience and in our desire to doubt and think God could ever fix this, we want to fix the lawless, but the lawless might not know. You know. So you're like, God, there's a spirit of lawlessness in here. Get it out of me. See, a demon is like a virus. It wants to jump. When you see it acting, you want to jump into the very same reality to try and control it. And so you can't give in to that. You actually have to be like, okay, I, yes, this might mess up everything. I don't know, but it's not mine. It's actually his house, and it's tempting me to mess it up, and I'm the one chance that I have to say, okay, God, change me right now. Nobody else is going to do that for you. You're the, you're the only chance you got to say, God, change me, Okay. So coming right up to the mic when it's the right time. Not wanting to wait for God to unfold revelation. What does it mean to not want to wait for God to unfold revelation? Well, i got to tell you everything because I'm afraid you might not get it if I don't lay it all out real clear before I pray. Because if you don't know everything that I'm praying, then you won't understand what I'm praying. And God would be like, I thought we were praying to me. I thought we were praying to God here. <laughs> but there's an impatient desire to make sure all the information is out there. And what we have to be is a people that are like, okay, I see it. That person probably doesn't see it. But what can I do to change God? Do you see what I'm saying? And if I'll do that, then what happens is God starts to put more and more of a witness of the way his government runs, and we get more and more chances to say yes to it. Okay, so trying to unfold revelation rather than trying to reveal everything with our words. Not wanting to wait for God to unfold revelation, but rather trying to reveal everything with our words. Now, this is literally... Everyone I've ever met. I've, I've, I've been here and had people come up and say, hey, is it cool if I read four chapters of the Bible? I mean, some of us have all been in this room on a Sunday morning, had somebody come up and say, can I read three chapters right now? And you have to say, no, you can't. None of us can take it. We can hardly take the message, right? We're not going to take another three chapters of the Bible. Okay. I'm joking. We can all take it. Okay. Another way we know the slawless spirit is at work. Now, again, this is not to change you. This is to recognize when it's happening, okay? This is not a thing, like, your mind, when I say this, is going to go to the examples you can think of, and I can almost guarantee none of them are going to be you. But that's not the point of why I'm going to say this. The point is, when we recognize it, to open our hearts and let God change us, okay? Hear what I'm saying? Everybody say yes if you hear what I'm saying. Because otherwise, you're going to all get mad at me, okay? Assuming all rules, worship leader or musicians pray... Instead of patiently waiting in their established rule. 
Yeah, this is a good prayer meeting. I feel it moving. Okay, I just got to break it and say the thing that I've got to say. But that's not your job, actually. Your job is to wait for something to get said and then respond. Because the point is not that everything gets out there. The point is that we agree with the order in heaven. So, David, this is amazing. Turn in your Bible to the Psalms. Some of you have heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again. How many people in this room do every prayer meeting right? None of us. Good. You got that right. Especially all of us. Yes. Okay. So, for instance, Psalm 14. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. A Mitchum of David. A song of confidence in, in, in trial of evil. To the chief, a psalm 11. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. David was one of the greatest musicians in Israel in his time. When he played his guitar, demons literally ran away. But David wrote prayers and handed them to another musician that the Bible doesn't say when the other musician played, the demons ran away. He just knew his place. He cared way more about the order than affecting any change. And what that did was it made him a conduit to affect a ton of change. He, and you could see this throughout David's life. David could have killed Saul several times. But he didn't care about that. He didn't want to affect the change in leadership of Israel. He cared about the order. And he's like, God's waiting right now. God has me waiting because he's waiting. And I don't want to violate waiting on God. Now, what, what parts of your life are you tempted to just jump in and change some things? What'd you say? All of them. Thank you, Noah, for your honesty. Yes. Money, relationships, church meetings. Church meetings can be very uncomfortable if you think you know how they should go. And it's very tempting to jump in and affect change for the good of all. But it's actually not what God's doing. What God is doing is teaching us to wait on the Lord, to be weak, to let him fill us with strength. Do you see what I'm saying? So our flesh is warring against this, though. All, every fiber of our being that knows the right way things should do, and I'm not talking about you right now, I'm talking about me, wants to change and make everyone do it right. Everybody is like this, and that's lawlessness. That is lawlessness. So a lot of the lawlessness in this room is actually because of my lawlessness and because of yours. But I literally, because I know, I think I want to change it. But God's like, if you know and you don't change, I'm holding you, Tom, more responsible. You. So when you know, it's very difficult because you know the right way and you're right. You're not wrong. But because you know, you're held to a higher account than anybody else. Now, this is true every aspect of your life. You're going to go to work. You're going to be like, you're supposed to do it that way. And God's like, you're supposed to work for me as, or work for man as unto God. If you know, then I expect you to actually do this for you, right? It's not just at church. This is, this is our entire life should be reordered. This is the way Jesus lived. Jesus held himself to a standard he didn't hold anybody else to. But he made a way, a witness for anyone who wanted to follow him to come and follow him. This is, what I'm describing is the death of your mind, will, and emotions. I'm sorry. But you know now. And I know. How many of you have ever been in this room and been like, this is not the way it's supposed to go? And then you walk out and you're like, what are we going to do about this guy? If you're honest, probably most of us at some point in time have seen something like this. And he's saying, come with me. Come with me into this next thing. It's beautiful the way that you've been doing. I love that you know. He says, I love that you know. But come with me into the next thing. Let's change together. Let's change you together, okay? 
So all these psalms, David actually stayed in his right, right place. I'm just going to finish this little list here. Worship leader and musician prays instead of patiently waiting in their established role. Prayer leader tries to control the responses. Many times when you're prayer leading and you're praying something and the worship leader is singing something, it's very tempting to be like, okay, if I say this next thing, then they'll know what I was trying to talk about because they're singing this thing and it doesn't make any sense for what I was talking about. So I'm just going to give them a little bit more information. Are you praying if you're giving the worship leader more information? No, you just stopped praying. You started trying to control something. That is lawlessness. And so you just got to be like, hey, you know what? This is what I heard the Lord saying. I can't control if Tom heard it or anyone else heard it. I'm just going to try to stay in this place with the Lord because what really matters is I learned this order. I want to learn the order. I want to let God be God and let him be God of the worship leader or whoever. This will really change the way that you enjoy uh, this experience, okay? Not making space for others to worship or pray. Now, this is one of the areas that I'd probably be most guilty is I got so many great ideas, and they all got to come out. That's why I do a set with Jen on Thursday, every other Thursday morning because Jen and David are here, and they let me pray a lot. But if I'm in a big crowd of people, I would choke a big crowd of people if I don't learn to stop being lawless, right? And it's not all lawless. Some of it is just flow and enjoyable. But there's a, there's my, my nature is to say too many things. Your nature might be to not say enough things. And the important thing is to know, okay, how am I flowing with God here, not with everyone else, okay? Very important. And if you do that, if you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will love your neighbor as you love yourself, okay? So we want to make space for others to pray, but we don't want to make the space. We want to let God talk to us, and space will be made. That's different, right? Because if you try to make the space, we'll just sit here in in a room where there's a singer just singing and nobody's saying anything. That's very awkward, and it's not heaven. So you don't want to make space. You just want to recognize, if I'm in agreement with heaven, space will be made, and I'll recognize that. I'll actually, uh, I've seen some really great prayer leading in my days here, and typically you know some amazing prayer leading is happening when the prayer leader barely has time to pray. Like everybody else is kind of coming up and praying because there's a divine revelation, antiphonal, antiphony is sparking in a room. You know, this is all about antiphony. It's all about, okay, what do we do, God, to make it so that more revelation of who you are happens in a, in a more... Uh, robust way. More, more voices. Many voices, one desire. Is that making sense? Okay, now, you know no lawlessness is in a prayer meeting when you're not responding to the theme God has marked a prayer meeting with and instead praying just kind of whatever you think. All right, you come to the Israel set and you're like, yeah, I know we're praying about Israel, but I just really got this other thing kind of burning on my heart and I'm going to pray this. What that is saying is I don't really care about the order or the way God put the set in the room or talk to the prayer leader or is even communicating between the worship leader and the prayer leader. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. And yeah, it's an Israel set. Now, hopefully it fits in. I don't know. Instead, we could be way more careful about, okay, what's the order, God? What's the order? Now, I think Israel is one of the harder sets to pray for because it's hard to know what God is saying. We should know that if we just try to do it in the order those prayer meetings will actually get more enjoyable. It's just, it's easy to be like, okay, just give me something that I could tie to Israel. I don't know. That's different than, God, what are you saying? All right, take me to a place. How is this tied to Israel? Okay, I want to pray it by the Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? That's different. Now, I say that because that's how I started praying for Israel was, can I just, all this stuff relates to Israel. I'm just going to pray something. Hope it, hope it hits. And sometimes it does. But that doesn't mean that I'm growing in the order of heaven. 
right? I want to grow in the order of heaven. Okay. Assuming God has no opinion about how the words in his house flow or what he wants to do in worship and government. Okay, so it's, it's very tempting to be like, God's just glad we're here. It doesn't really matter how it happens. We're just kind of be here, let it happen. That misses the entire point of doing it. God cares very much about how the words flow in this room. Now, that doesn't mean we've done prayer meetings wrong. It means, hey, what if every word that was uttered in this place had supernatural power on it? That would be pretty cool. That would be, like, that might change what's happening at the Rite Aid and at the Home Depot. Like, I could even go in and pick up a cordless drill off the shelf. Like, that would be, Lord, I just count that a sign. If theft decreased in this city, because I want it to be lawful, Okay, I'm going to read this last passage, Zephaniah 1, 12 to 15. Tatum, you can come back up. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. With lamps. He's going to search the city where he's supposed to be worshipped with lamps. And punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore, their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses and not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, this is an end time thing. It's near and hastens quickly. Now, if you're paying attention, this is, I started in Zephaniah 1. This is talking about the exact same thing, okay? The great day of the Lord is near. It's near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of thick, of thick clouds and thick darkness. Everybody stand with me. What that means is going to get harder and harder to see heaven doing anything. If you'll step into the order of David's tabernacle, you'll have eyes to see. Your love won't grow cold. You'll actually understand he's letting all this happen because he is so near. He wants us all with him in heaven forever. He wants us to learn how to make space by just letting him change us, not by making space. If you want that, if you just want to see things more from God's perspective and less from yours, and you want to hear it in the way more revelation is happening around you, I want to pray for you because I feel like God's going to release this. I want you to come up front, though, if you want this. If you want this, I want you to come up front. All right, if, you, if you all come up front, this is going to be amazing, but it's going to be weird because I could just... We're all responding. I'm joking. Right. Everybody put a hand on somebody else's shoulder here. We're all going to touch. We're a body. Jesus made us to be a body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we are all honored. Let's, let's connect our little two factions here. we got two factions. It's going to be Bridget. All right. All right. Holy Spirit, in this room, we want to see things the way they are in heaven. We want to see him around Jesus' throne. We want to see the four seraphim and the 24 elders and the many voices, the thunderings and the lightnings. Lord, would you increase the diversity of what's released in this room? Yeah, would you help us to go from walking to running? Lord, we're, we grow faint, we're growing weary. Would you raise us up on wings like eagles? Raise us up, God. Give power to the weak. Pour out your spirit in this room. Pour out your spirit on our prayer meetings, God. 
Let us not look back and try to figure out what we did wrong. Let us look forward into what you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.